pull out your message notes. Uh, I want you to be ready to take notes today. I provide those message notes each and every week. Uh, and the reason I do that is because today starts a conversation. I want you to be able to go through Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday and really digest the conversation that began today. Uh, if you didn't get message notes, you can follow along on the Bible app. We have a digital message notes on the Bible app as well. Uh, we're kicking off this series, and the title of the series is simply Legacy. Legacy. Uh, and what we want to do is we want to make sure that our life is being lived in light of eternity, that we want to be living life as, a, as someone who is focused on eternity and what God has created us to do. Did you know that on the inside of each and every one of us that there is a desire to make a difference in the life of someone else? I know sometimes you say, well, I don't know. No, on the deep inside of who you are. God created you in such a way that, in fact, I'd say it like this, the only way you'll ever experience true fulfillment is when you learn how to leverage everything in this life, whether it's your, your time, your talent, your passions, your resources, so that you can serve others and lead them to Jesus Christ. And when we learn to do this, what happens is we come alive. There's something on the inside of us. It's like, man, you were dormant. You felt empty, you felt incomplete, and even though you're saved and your eternity is secure, there's something on the inside that only comes unlocked when you begin to focus on how you're living this life and how you're impacting eternity. I'm going to go into Psalm chapter 112, verse 5 through 6. Psalm 112, verses 5 through 6. Look at what it says. Give our good will come to him who is generous and to lens freely, who conducts his affairs with justice, surely he will never be shaken. So look, you can't stop the shaking that's going on around you, but you can't keep from being shaken by the world. So he's saying, look, you're not going to be shaken. You'll never be shaken. And then I love this next portion of that verse. This is really the legacy portion. Look what he says. A righteous man will be remembered forever, forever. So in other words, the way you live right now will determine whether or not you're remembered, that you're living this life, not just about this life, but it's about eternity and it's about the generations that come beyond us and past us and it's impacting their life far beyond this life. And if you were to define legacy, I want you to write this down, legacy, legacy, legacy. This is what it's, we're defining it as where my life lives on, where my life lives on, beyond me, beyond me. In fact, I'm giving something and I'm giving to something that outlives me. I'm, I'm living so that my life outlives me. What I've done on this earth outlives my natural life here. That long after we breathe our last breath, the last breath fills our lungs, your impact is still being felt. In fact, we call that transcendence transcendence, living beyond yourself. And so what we recognize is that what we do in this earth, it matters. That how we live in this earth matters. That what we're living for matters. And I want us to refocus our lives. And some of you, it's a reminder, but some, it's a refocusing. We've been living for the here and the now and the things of this earth. But I want to refocus our minds and our lives to say, I'm going to focus on the eternal. And it's important that we really understand there's two parts to our life. 
Here's the first part. It's what's, what's happening here on this earth. That's life on this earth. But did you know that life doesn't stop once we cross into eternity? There is life in eternity that you are a spirit, you have a soul, and you live in a body. And sometimes we can get real focused on the here and now, the natural, and not recognize that according to God's word, it's just a small portion of our life into eternity. And I want to help prepare us. You know, I believe my job as a pastor is that I would prepare us not only for the way we live life on this earth and what we experience here, but really life in eternity. That one day you and I, we're going to stand before Almighty God and He's going to judge what we did and what we didn't do here on this earth. In fact, Romans 14 talks about it. Look what it says You then, why do you judge your brother or your sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat as it is written. As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me and every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. You know, find it fascinating. Someone says, well, I'll never bow my knee to God. No, the Bible says everyone will bow their knee to God. So the question is, will you do it willingly or will you do it unwillingly? But everyone will come before God and say, you are God, you are Lord. We're going to be accountable. So what does it look like? And I was thinking, you know, in high school, um, I was not the greatest student. I'm pretty smart. Uh, but high school were not my best years. In fact, I had senioritis starting my junior year. <laughs> I'd show up to class and I, I could take a lot of things in, but I never really took notes and I never ever studied. And I'd go into a class and the teacher say, there's a test. I'm like, I got this. You go sit down, take a test, A, B, C, D. Got it feeling good, like, man, I knocked it out of the park. Come back, sit down, get the test results back, and it'd be a D, sometimes a C, and sometimes an F. <laughs> didn't quite do as good as I thought I would do, but I didn't really care. And then I went off to college and started my college career. That was a totally different story. In fact, I made the president's list most of my college career, all A's and a couple of B's. And as I went back and evaluated it, same person, different experience, it's just the fact that I actually took college seriously. They said there was a test. I actually studied. I read. I prepared. I made sure that when I walked into the class to take that test, that I was going to walk in knowing that I'm ready to pass this test. Well, I want you to know there's a test in life. And we want to make sure, I want to make sure that when you cross through to eternity, you were well equipped to pass the test that God is going to have us have the questions to. And so today I want to help us prepare for the test and I'm going to lay a foundation and I'm teaching today. And so I want you to make sure you're going through taking notes, going through the scriptures, because I want to help you pass the test. And I want you to get up into heaven and say, nobody told me. Nobody explain. No, I'm explaining, and I want us to make sure we pass the test. The two tests are really two questions that are going to be asked, and uh, it's two judgments according to the Bible. Uh, the first question that's going to be asked for the test that God has given to us is, what did you do with my son, Jesus? What did you do? Not what did your parents do. Not what did your spouse do, not what did your kids do, but what did you do with my son, Jesus? So we know this. 
God sent Jesus on a mission to this earth to live a sinless life, to give his life up on dying on the cross, that the blood of Jesus is what paid the penalty of our sin. In fact, it's because of Jesus we get access into eternity with God alone. But here's what we must know. All sin must be paid for. Let me say it again. All sin must be paid for. What's unfortunate is that people will go to hell having never applied the blood of Jesus to pay for their sins. People get it wrong all the time in the world. They're like, how could a good God send people to hell? Can I just correct that narrative? A good God never sends people to hell. In fact, a good God sent his only son, Jesus, to pay the penalty for our sin through his blood. People go to hell because they choose to pay for their own sin. God loves us so much that he gave his only son. And here's the cool thing about salvation. Salvation is a free gift. It's experienced by faith through grace. There's the grace of God, and it's through faith that we as believers experience the salvation of God. Here's what I love. You don't have to be perfect. Aren't you glad? It's not about perfection. It's not even about holiness. Now, we want to be holy. We want to be set apart. We need to strive for that. But really what we know is it's about us giving our life back to God, confessing him as our Lord and our Savior. And so the first question on the test is, what did you do with Jesus? And it's the first judgment. It's actually called the great white throne judgment. We find it in Revelation chapter 20. The great white throne judgment. Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. Look what it says. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And then I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Now, when he talks about the books here, what he's talking about is everything that you and I have done. All of our sins are in the books. But now look at what he's talking about now. There's another book. Look, another book was opened, which was the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. So this is what we don't want. We do not want our life to be judged according to the books. We want our life to be judged according to the book of life, the Lamb's book of life. Your name is written in the Lamb's book of life when you receive salvation by putting your trust in Jesus Christ alone to save you. That's the amazing work of the cross. That's the good news of the gospel. You don't have to pay for your sin. You don't have to go to hell and live eternity separated from God. But there was a price that was paid. And because Jesus Christ paid that price, we can receive the free gift of salvation. Now, the great white throne, the first test, what did you do with Jesus? This is an everybody test. This is one that is a grace judgment. So you can't earn it. You can't go to church enough. You can't be religious enough for it. It is simply by grace of God. It's a free gift of salvation. Can I get an amen? amen? Look at what it says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Someone says, well, how do I receive this free gift? Look at what it says. How, so everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven 
but only the one who, oh, not everyone, I'm sorry, I misread that. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. I always find this is a very, to me, eye-opening passage. It makes me really concerned because here we have people who are believers, or they say they're believers, and they're actually demonstrating some power. They're casting out devils, they're performing miracles, they're prophesying, but isn't it interesting that in doing the work of God, it doesn't mean you know God himself. You can do a lot of good things, but it doesn't, I love it, God uses donkeys, doesn't mean you had a relationship. And that word right there, it says, and I'll plainly say, I never knew you. That's actually the Greek word called gnosko. So this is the same word that's used in Adam and Eve when they, gnosko, they knew each other and they conceived Cain and Abel. There's an intimacy. There's an authentic relationship. And what he's saying is you can do good, but it doesn't mean you know me. You can sing that song, you can attend church, you can go to the outreach, you can be on the dream team, you can be a part of small groups, you can talk about him, but the question is, do you really have a relationship with him? See, God wants your heart, not religion. He's not trying to start an organization, he birthed the church. He birthed the body. It's believers coming together that are joined because they have an authentic and real relationship with God. That's the first judgment. And here's what we know about that judgment. It's got to do with your eternity, where you're gonna spend eternity, heaven or hell. Second test or second judgment is the judgment seat of Christ. This is the Bema. Um, this is not a grace judgment. You need to listen to me on this. This is not a grace judgment. It's a works judgment. So the first one is eternity where am I spending eternity? The second one is actually how I spend eternity. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. Paul is talking to Christians. And it's based on how I lived my life here on this earth. Look what he says. For we must all, and again, he's talking to Christians, appear before the judgment seat of Christ. This is the Bema. And look, he says, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. So the second question on the test is not what did you do with my son Jesus, but it's this, what did you do with what I gave you? You're taking notes, write that down. What did you do with what I gave you? So this is a stewardship question. This is, look, I've given you some resources. I've given you some talents. I've given you uh, all the things that you have in your life. What have you done with what I've given you? See, we must know Jesus is coming back. It's not some, some mystical thing that's out there like a fairy tale. I hope, I wish. I need you to know Jesus is coming back. He is coming back for his church. It is not a maybe. It is an absolute fact. And when he comes back, here's what he's going to do. He's going to reward us. Why? Because God loves to reward his people. Look at Matthew chapter 16. Watch. Verse 27. For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels. The second coming of Jesus. It's going to happen. And then look what it says. And he will reward each person 
according to what he has done. Man, isn't that, isn't that fascinating? Now, I, I always, I just wanna bring this out too. It's not couples, it's not families. Like, I, I think we gotta be real aware of this and I would wanna wake us up. You can say, well, my wife is real religious, man. I let her do it all. No, your wife won't be there with you at this judgment. He's gonna say, what did you do? Now, together we can invest and we can make decisions, but ultimately he's gonna say, what did you do? Not your parents, not your spouse. What did you do? And he's going to reward us according to what we have done. And if there's anything that you get here today, there's two things I want you to get. Number one, before Jesus, your whole life is all about getting Jesus. That's why we're so passionate about reaching the lost. That's why we'll do anything short of sin to reach the lost people in our community, in our families, in this, this area, this region, and the nation. Why? Because we understand that is the most important thing that we could possibly do. But once you find Jesus, now your whole life as a believer should be about leveraging your life to make a difference. So Jesus, I found you. That's awesome. I don't just come to church and now worship on Sundays. That's great. That's one day. That's one moment. What he wants us to do now is take everything that he's given us and he wants us to leverage it to impact eternity. That's what he's called us to do. It's the second most important thing that we can do is be focused on making this short life that we're living count for eternity. And I want to give you three things, three decisions that we have to make, three decisions. If we're going to live a legacy life, there are three decisions that we have to make. Number one, I will be intentional in giving what I have. So I will give what I have. I will give what I have. If you're taking notes, write that down. In other words, I'm going to leverage what God has given to me, entrusted to me as a steward to impact eternity. And the thing I love about God is, look, God's not asking you for what you don't have. God says, what do you have? And as a, someone who's focused on living a life of legacy, we say, God, what I have belongs to you. Speak to me and I'll give, I'll go, I'll do whatever it takes because I want to live a life of impact, eternal impact. And I grew up in church. It was always funny to me. Um, there was kind of this movement and like the prosperity movement and all that. I remember hearing stories. I wasn't a pastor back then. I was just, you know, a young adult and I served in the church. It was it was interesting because somehow the message of faith would be like, the people would be touched. It's like, given an offering, give your very best. And somehow it was almost implied, give what you don't even have. Because God will bless it in supernatural. And, and do you remember the day of checks? Anybody got your checkbooks? Ain't nobody really carried checks anymore. Someone asked me to write a check the other day. I'm like, I, I can't even help you. Isaiah. Check, you know, I don't understand. But you, you get a checkbook, and back then, you could write a check for more than what was actually in your bank account. And so there's stories, you know what I'm saying? It's like, I'm going to write a $2,500 check. No, I only got $1,500. But God, since I wrote it, would you just fill the bank account so that you could bless your church? Great intentions, but totally wrong. Because then, then you're saying God is demanding what you don't even have. God's not demanding or asking what you don't have. God just says, what do you have in your hands? And let me use that to multiply and bless the world. 
And the Bible is full of stories of people like this. I, I was thinking about the, the little boy uh, he, in John chapter 6, verse 9, where Jesus is surrounded by the masses. And there's, the Bible records 5,000 men. Uh, there were women and children. Said it could have been up to fifteen to 20,000 people there. And Jesus says, they're hungry, feed them. What do we have? Well, all we have is a little boy's sack lunch, five loaves and two fishes. And that young boy, and I love the story because it wasn't some adult, but it was a young boy. I believe that God will take the, the, the means and the resources of children, of teenagers, and he will use it to multiply supernaturally to feed the masses. And that's what he did. He said, well, I got it. I'll give it. And we know that God broke Jesus, blessed the bread, he broke the bread, and then he gave the bread, and, and they supplied all the food that was needed with extra. Yes. Well, what did he use? What the little boy had. I'm reminded of the story of the poor widow, Jesus. He was, he was uh, hardcore. You know, he's doing an offering. He didn't have it, drop it in the giving center or text online. Jesus had a, like a bucket right here. He said, come on, just come and give. And your man just sat there and watched him. Could you imagine Jesus just watching? Here's what's interesting. You got all these rich people. The Bible talks about it. So you got all these rich people. It's found in Luke chapter 21. They're coming by, probably putting massive amounts of money. They want to impress Jesus. And all of a sudden, this poor widow comes in. All she has are two mites. The Bible equates them to about pennies, just not a lot at all. She comes in, and I can imagine she's like, God, it's not a lot, but it's all I have. And she drops it in there, probably thinking there's no way he even noticed it. Like, I'm a nobody, a nothing, because that's what rich people would say. That's what those with means would say. She ain't got nothing on me. And yet Jesus never mentions the rich, but only mentions her and says, this woman has given more than all the rest. It's not about the quantity. It's about the quality. See, they gave out of their extra. She gave out of her need. It's like, God, it's all I got. And here's what's so cool about it. Here we are 2,000 years later talking about this little boy and this woman. And I thought about the lady with the alabaster bo bottle. She's, here she is. She's a sinful woman, and, and she has been forgiven much. And she comes to the foot of Jesus. She breaks that alabaster box, and she breaks it on his feet. And they say it's about a year's worth of wages. So this wasn't everything she had, but... Surely it was costly. And Judas and the disciples, they say, oh, that was too extravagant, too much. We should have sold it and given that money to feed the poor. And Jesus said, oh, wait, 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 stop. The poor you have always, but this woman has done the rightful thing. And as far as the gospel spoken, her story will be told. What is he saying? This woman lived a life of legacy, that she gave what she had. And because of that, her impact in eternity would be talked about for generations. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 11. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on a couple of occasions. A few occasions. No, no, that's not what he says. What's he says? Every occasion. Every, every. Why? Because generosity ought to mark a believer. There ought to be something that's like, man, it just exudes. And I'm convinced if God can get it through you, God will get it to you. It says, look, through, and then here's, here's, here's why it says, through us, your generosity will result in what? Thanksgiving to God, that people will see a church that understands what it is to live a life of legacy, that understands that I have it, but it's not mine. I'm a steward, and I choose to intentionally give what I have away. Give what I have away. Give what I have away. Second way that we live a life of legacy 
is I will intentionally, this is the decision we have to make, I will intentionally serve others. I'm going to intentionally serve others. Look at Matthew chapter 20, verse 26 through 28. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. But it doesn't say boss. You know, uh, someone's supervisor. You know, I, I love all those titles, and here's what I would encourage you. Climb as far as you can to the top of the ladder, but make sure that we don't forget that you don't have that title as a supervisor, as a boss, as an owner, to have people serve you, but you've got those titles so that you can be the hands and feet and serve those who are underneath you. Whoever wants to be, uh, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So what's he saying? He's saying, look, man, we're here to serve others. You want to live a life of legacy? Serve. You want to, you want to live a life of legacy? Be focused on people externally, not just yourself internally. Think about it. I, I was thinking about this. When's the last time we've served our neighbors? I mean, we all have houses, right? You have a house, maybe you live in an apartment. We all got neighbors, and what we've seen is over the last couple of years, instead of going out to the neighbors, we stay recluse. We, we're like, hey, I just come into my house, and you know, I'm good, but we really don't have community in our neighborhoods like we once did. There was a day where you actually met your neighbors, you did life with your neighbors, you hung out with your neighbors, and now there's this day where nobody even knows. I don't know who my neighbor is. And it's easy for you to say, well, I would help them if I saw a need. But here's what I want to encourage you. Maybe there's a need, but we haven't seen with God's eyes. Have you ever noticed if you're not looking for something, you'll never find it? So you start to say, God, I want to have legacy eyes. Help me to see the needs of my neighbors, the people that you pulled me or called me to live right beside. You never know. They're, they may have needs, and you didn't even know it, but once you ask God for the heart and the eyes to see it, now God opens up an opportunity, and you are impacting eternity because you said yes to serve your neighbor. Maybe it's a stranger. You know, I always just look at how, that's what I love about our outreach. We do it once a month, first Saturday of the month, we go out. It's like, man, I, I don't know you, but I'm going to serve you. I'm going to find a way to help you. I heard about uh, one of our small groups, the Men of Truth small group. Uh, someone found out that a man needed a stove, and uh, the guys in the small group, what they decided was, hey, we don't have to go to pastor of the church. I just heard about that this morning. They said, we're going to take up an offering right here. They bought the man a stove and installed that stove into his house. What are they doing? They're living lives of legacy. It's taking the ownership of. It's not like, hey, go see the church. They'll fix your need or help you. No, no. You are the church. We are the church. And that should happen on a Monday and a Tuesday and a Wednesday and a Thursday, Friday and Saturday. And then there are, look, there's great opportunities for you to serve here in this church. I'm, I'm blown away about what God is doing here. Last week, I met six to eight people. It was their first time to come to church. Some had church backgrounds, and some had no kind of a church background. And here's what I want to encourage you. I want to invite you to make a difference and to be a part of a legacy by building what God's doing at this church. Come and serve on the dream team. The dream team are what we, the world would say volunteers, but we call them dream teamers. People who have come alive with the dream of God on the inside of them. You know, we need people come and run cameras. I mean, love the iMags and the online family. You know, at the end of the day, these are people that said, look, I'm going to serve. I'm going to live a life of legacy, so I'm going to run a camera. Maybe the parking team. I love Juan Vargas. I think he was out here this morning with his cowboy hat. 
Think about the legacy. Here, here's how cool that is. Like every time I'm in my office and I see he's got his cowboy hat because he's in Texas, come on somebody, and he's just out there waving. To, and I, Can you imagine the people who have possibly come to this church, felt the presence of God, the power of God, the love of God, just because they saw someone out there that was actually happy to not only be at church, but happy to see people and just wave and smile. That's an eternal impact. He's building a life of legacy. The nursery workers out there serving and loving our babies, our children's ministry. And I want to encourage you. I know that life is busy. I know, you know I want to challenge too the teachers. I know you teach Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and you're like, I just want a break. Okay, that's great. But what if we could flip the script and say, I teach in an environment that's not necessarily God-friendly, but on a Sunday, I can teach the Word of God, the power of God. I can pray for students. And so maybe it's time to just say, I'm going to serve in that capacity. Capacity. Our administration, somebody like, I don't want to do anything out there talking to people, connect, but you put me on a computer and I will type up and I will, I will run numbers. Well, you need to see Pastor Joe Leia. She runs all the admin. And it's like, why? Because I'm going to live a life of legacy. And then my personal favorite is youth. I, I want to encourage you to pray about getting involved with our youth group. We meet on Wednesday nights, and I just believe God's moving in the next generation, and we're doing good, but we would do better with you. You got a passion for young people. Engage that passion and choose to live a life of legacy. I promise you this, when you do that, God created us to come alive. There's something on the inside. It's like, man, I'm fulfilled. Have you ever vegged out on Netflix Anybody, come on, just be honest. You got, you got your series, and now they come out, and it's like you get the whole series like, bam! So all weekend, you're watching as soon as you get off work. How many, isn't it crazy to me? It's so funny to me that you can watch a whole season on Netflix, and they're like, how you doing? I'm tired. What you been doing? Man, I was watching this season. I'm worn out. You ain't done nothing. Got you a few snacks sitting on your couch, watching this thing, and you're exhausted. You act like you've done something. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Gave your whole weekend to something that didn't matter. And then how many have ever been a part of something where it's like, man, we worked hard. We served. I came on a Saturday. I served at Serve Day. Next week, you know, I came to church on a Sunday, but then I choose to serve at this men's night, and I didn't get much sleep. I didn't get my nap, but my eye is focused on eternity. And so I turn around, come up here, serve. I get home. I'm exhausted. Whew, but I feel good about being exhausted. I lay my head on my pillow saying, man, I made a difference. Lives were changed. This place is better. I'm asking us to keep that eye on eternity and say, God, I choose to live that way. You're fulfilled. And I want to encourage you this too. Serving doesn't solve your problems. I wish it did. I wish that it was like, God, I know I'm your favorite because I'm serving. So you just get rid of all them problems. It don't work like that. As long as you're breathing, you're going to have problems. As long as there's breath in your lungs, the devil's going to try to knock you off track, and you just got to recognize, that's okay. We're in a real battle. That's why it says, fight the good fight of faith. But what I have to have is something greater to live for than the problems I'm going through, something greater to pull me through. Some, see, I, I know you could think I want to come to church every Sunday, and I do about 98% of the time. 
But I want to tell you, there are some Sundays over the last decade where if, if it wasn't for you, I probably wouldn't have got up. But it's amazing how knowing this is something God has given to me to serve and to give back to people, it ain't about what I feel. It ain't about what I think. It's not about my week. I choose to get up and serve and be a part of making a difference in your life. I'm reminded, Monique sent me this story. She joined our church a couple of years ago, and I, I just think it shows the heart of how serving can make you come alive. And look, it says, I came to this place, of, I came to a place of darkness in my life. I was overwhelmed by loss of a job. A spouse of 15 years passed away, and I was about to lose my house that I was living in for 13 years. I wanted to commit suicide. I was overwhelmed with hopelessness. I was overwhelmed with grief, and I had no hope for the future. I checked myself voluntarily into a crisis center as a cry for help, and it's there that I learned about Anchor Bend Church. I decided uh, to go to a service, and it was at that service that God showed me that he is with me. He touched my heart. He freed my mind. He freed my spirit. I came to a place of complete and absolute surrender to God and to trust in him. She experienced salvation. Look at what it says. Since then, God has been on the move in my life. He helped me to recenter my life around what really matters. I realize that as bad as my situation is, there are other people far worse off than me. So I decided to go to Next Steps. I finished all the classes. I joined the Dream Team. Since then, I have come alive. These are her words. I have come alive. My purpose has been activated by serving on the greeters team. Life's not perfect, but things are definitely getting better. I'm working and teaching part-time and moved into an apartment. God is so good. Come on, isn't God good? Uh, she's living her life for legacy. Third thing, the third and final decision, I will intentionally share Christ. I will intentionally share Christ. Everyone's got to make a decision to share Christ. I this is the thing where it can be overwhelming because you're like, well, I'm not a pastor. Yeah, but you're a Christ follower. And as a Christ follower, you got to go into your world. I can't go into your world. Nobody else can go into your world. It's your responsibility to share Christ. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. We are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through you. So think about it. wherever you're at, you're just the representation of Christ to the world around us. I, years ago, I served on staff at a youth ministry, and we would prepare thousands of young people to go overseas, and uh, I mean, it was absolutely amazing. But then when they came back from their overseas mission trip, I would try to equip them with going back home. And one of the charges that we would give them, and one that I'll give to you today, is that as a believer, if you were put on trial today, is there enough evidence to convict you of being a Christian? There is no undercover, personal, private expression. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Our lives are lived publicly. People ought to see Jesus. They ought to hear Jesus. They ought to feel Jesus. And it happens because we made a decision that we're going to show the love of God to the world around us. It's not comfortable. People can call you names. It's all good. People might not even like you. But when you're truly an ambassador of God, what will happen is those people that don't like you will ask you to pray for them. 
But you got to make a decision. Why? Because I'm not going to live for the here and now. I'm living for eternity. And I understand that I'm going to share Christ with the world around us. And sometimes, listen, the best way to share him is not with your words, but with your actions. So say the words, but let your actions be the thing that demonstrate who you are as a believer. Do both. Look at Luke 14, 23. And this is for those of you who may say, look, I, I don't think I can share it. You know, I wouldn't even know what to say. I would tell you this. Ask people to come and see. So that, that's one of the easiest things to do. We got a great church. You feel the presence and power of God. We always work hard to have God in this place. Nothing gets weird, but yet you come and experience the fullness of who he is. And look what it says in verse 14, or chapter 14, verse 23. Go out into the country and urge everyone, anyone that you can find to come in so that my house will be full that there is something about going out. Jesus did a couple of things. He sent the disciples out, and then there were times he sent people out to say, come and see. Come and see the man that told me. And I want to encourage you to invite people to come and see what God is doing here. People say, man, I don't even know if I believe. That's all right, just come and see. You don't have to believe to belong. Just come and see if God is real. There was a study, it was a fascinating study, uh, about 50,000 people in this national survey took this survey and the question that they answered, here's the question that was asked, what initially brought you to church? So 50,000 people nationally who were going to church, they're in church. The question is, what brought you into this church? I think the results will shock you. Six to 8% walked in by their own initiative. That's like people driving by. Some of you may have been in this category. You saw the building going up. You're like, wow, I feel drawn there. I'm going to go to that church. You just walked in of your own initiative. Two to three percent liked the program that was offered. We got our family fun festival, our harvest festival. You know, so they, they might have got a flyer from school. Somebody invited them. So they say, hey, I'm going to go to that event. And then that event led them coming to church. Eight to ten percent is they liked the pastor. Hopefully it's that much, if not more. Come on, somebody. I'll take it. We'll take all the wins we can get. Three to four percent, they had a need that was met by the church. So in other words, like outreach or like this man that the, the small group provided the stove for. He's like, wow, I can't believe you did it. I want to come and visit your church. One to two were evangelized. That's like on outreach. You know, we're going out, be in the hands of Jesus, hands and feet of Jesus. Uh, three to four percent attracted by Sunday school. We don't do Sunday school, so it's kind of invalid for us. But this is the one that shocked me. Look at, look at this. It may shock you as well. You, maybe you already know, but 70 to 85 percent were invited by a relative or a friend. So I know you get postcards. I know you see us on Facebook and Instagram. That's not why people come. People come because they were invited by someone who loves them or someone who knows them. And because of that, that's why 70, 85% of people show up. Look at what the Billy Graham Association said. They did some study as well. But look at this. This I thought was fascinating. According to the Billy Graham Association, the average Christian can identify seven. Everybody say seven. Seven unchurched people that they have a personal relationship with. And of those unchurched people, 82% of them would come to church with a friend or a relative, if invited. So what are you saying? When we have an eye on eternity, what would happen if we were just to evaluate and take some... See, see I know you can say, I don't have unchurched friends. Yeah, but were we looking with the right eyes? 
Because according to this study, there's about seven people, and I'm not talking about recycling Christians. We're not trying to get people from other churches. Let them stay where they're at. We're going after the harvest. We're going after the lost. But just imagine what would happen in your life if you gave a personal invitation to the seven people that now you're looking for. God shows you these are unchurched people that I want them to experience the power of salvation. Would you simply invite them? Seven people. So what would happen if we wrote their names down and prayed over them and then over the next three months intentionally said, I'm going to invite them to what's happening. Think about it. you got the Harvest Festival. That's a great time to get the lost people here. We got At the Movies that starts November 13th, one of our best evangelistic series. That's a great time to invite them. We've got our Christmas Eve services. People will come to church on Christmas and Easter. So you're just saying, what am I doing? I'm focusing with new eyes to help make an eternal impact, and part of that comes through the personal invitation of who God put in my world. And here's the why. It's the last scripture. I'm going to give you this scripture in one last point. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. Command those. Now, this is Paul talking to his spiritual son, Timothy. Timothy is a pastor, and so he's coaching him. He's like, I'm going to teach you, Timothy, how to pastor your people. He says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Then look at what he says here. Command. So he's not talking to unbelievers. I'm not talking to a group of people that don't know God. I'm talking to people that know God. See, when we joined Christianity, the faith, when we experienced salvation, I just need to remind us, you didn't join a social club. We're not fans. We're followers. We, we didn't just join us, we didn't join social club, we joined an army. And so then God can come in and when you show up on a Sunday, you can have things like I command you. That's, that's what he said, that, it's that intensity of listen, I need to remind you. Look, look at what he said. To do good, to be rich in good deeds. Can we just evaluate our life? Because here, here's what I don't want you to do. I don't want you to get into heaven having not prepared to pass the test because the great white throne judgment, the bame is coming. Both of those are coming, and so I want you to step into eternity saying, man, I passed the test. Pastor prepared me. I was focused on doing good things at the right time when he asked me to. And look what he says. And to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay for themselves, here's the cool part, treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may be able to take a hold of life that is truly life. So that's how you migrate the wealth of earth into eternity. That I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm willing to do good works, whatever you want me to do. I'm focused. I'm going to share the message of Jesus Christ. I choose to have my eye on eternity. I'm going to be generous at every opportunity, not occasionally, but every time. And look, generosity, can I just make sure we understand? It's not about just tithes and offerings within these four walls. Generosity is over at HEB. Someone, God speaks to you. I'm going to buy your groceries. It's at the gas pump. It's wherever we go. It's like, God, I want to give. I want to be a conduit and one that you funnel your resources of heaven through. And then look at the promise. They may take hold of life that is truly life. Man, I'm fulfilled. I'm fulfilled. It's like, man, I've come alive with the purpose of God. Here's my last thought, and I'm gonna pray. There is more to this life 
than this life.